0: Hey, Doxa. Uh, if you want, I'm sorry that was weird. Uh, if you want to head over to First Corinthians 10, uh, that's the scripture we're going to be in today. And while you get there, I serve in the youth ministry. This feels like a really good time to shamelessly plug that Doxa has a youth ministry. So if you have a sixth through twelfth grader, we're here on Wednesday nights from 5:30 to seven. Um, We open up the Bible, we talk about the sermon, or we talk about something that's just on our hearts, and then we jump on the trampolines for the second half. So that's always a really good way to get your kids to want to come. And if you don't have a Bible outside of the wall, um, there's a bunch of Bibles. We'd love to gift you one. Um, Something that's really cool about is we're just really seeped in the word, and that's what we strive to be. Um, So if you don't have a Bible, please feel free. Grab one, grab one for your friend. All right, so 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 22. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us and that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and then they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we drink, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are those not who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to the idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? God, I just wanna pray for um, our sermon today. God, I thank you that we have your word to lean on God. And I just pray you'd make your word so sweet to us and that we would build our lives upon it. Um, God, I pray that you would calm our hearts as we get ready to hear this sermon and that you would speak through Rob, um, that we would hear whatever it is that you are wanting us to hear. It's in your name. Amen.
1: All right. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Hannah, thanks for doing that. We are, Doxa, in week 18 of a 32-week study that we are going through through the letter, letter of 1 Corinthians, right? We're talking about this this early church. The Apostle Paul had started this some years before. The church started to go into decline. There was a bunch of things happening, and Paul is writing to them to really just kind of help them out. And this is a great help for us as a, as a young church living in this city of, of Madison. But if you are new to Doxa, welcome. Hope you guys feel welcome. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's honestly great to have you part of the, the Doxa family today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today. All right, if you have your Bible in front of you, you look down, you'll notice the heading of this chapter likely says, a warning against idolatry. All right, some of your, your versions will say a warning from Israel's past. And if you know your Bible, you know that Israel's past is really just a past that is littered with idolatry. And so idolatry is really just the, the big topic today in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as we get into this, I just want to remind you, all right, the God that we serve is, is a good father. right, that we can sometimes think and and understand the nature of God, that he's an omnipotent, omnibulement king, right, and just so powerful, but we forget the fact that God reveals himself throughout the Bible as that of Father. And as a loving Father, he's coming to us today to help us navigate the everyday stuff of life, just like Paul was helping the Corinthians do here, because he's going to warn us of kind of like the disastrous outcomes of idolatry in all of our lives, And this is why Paul says a few times, look back, in verse 7, he says very pointedly, do not be idolaters. And then again in verse 14, he says, flee from idolatry. And so this big topic, we got to deal with it, but when it comes to idolatry, verse 1 is very significant, all right? It's a great place for us to start, but look back. Paul says, for I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, Dr. this is what I'll say, all right, I think many people today, all right, and we're not talking about people out there. Many Christians in this room, you love Jesus. Many people are very ignorant regarding what Paul is going to teach us today about idolatry. All right, and I'm not just talking to some of you, maybe you're, you're new to Christianity, you're new to the Bible, you just became a Christian. But I'm also talking to those of you who maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time. You've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. And maybe you come to a place like this where you gather like this and you can be tempted to have the thought of, you know what, I I know this. I'm very confident in my Bible knowledge. I kind of know the stories. I've heard about idolatry. Like, I I, I get it. I I understand this. But here's what I want to say, okay? Doctor? no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey today, the truth is every single one of us needs to listen very carefully to Paul today about idolatry. Because it's something that impacts every single one of our lives that idolatry is is not just something that existed with like primitive people throughout the Bible and throughout history but it's it's really something that exists in all of our lives and it's really a very serious thing it's way bigger and way more pervasive than many people today many Christians today even realize and to begin understanding idolatry, let me just kind of start off by telling you the story of the Bible and how we as people get to the position of, of really just being an idolater. So if we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis is a book of origins, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. God is there and he creates. We studied this a, a few months ago as we looked in depth at the first 12 chapters of Genesis, but God is there and he makes us. He makes all of humanity. He makes us in his image, which means we all are made in the image and likeness of God. So every single person that you've ever locked eyes with has dignity, value, worth, and purpose. But as God made humanity, he made all of humanity to worship him, to glorify him, to honor him, to love him, to live with him, and to enjoy him. This is why, in fact, you are made, that why we are made as people. So we are made as worshipers, all right, so all of humanity is made to worship. This is just a universal truth that we need to know about humanity. Now, I want to recognize that there might be some people, right, even in this room, where maybe you would push on that statement, all right? Maybe you would say, well, I'm here, I get it, you guys are Christians, you, you love God, you're clearly worshipers, but I'm here, I'm kind of in a position where I don't even know if I believe in God, so I am not a worshiper, Or maybe you would like survey your friendships and your your lives and, and think like, okay, I have some atheist friends that do not believe in God. There is no way that they are worshipers. Doxa, I need you to understand this. All of humanity are worshipers. We all worship something. And I'm gonna talk more about that in just a minute. But back to Genesis, as God made us as worshipers, right, he also made all of creation to be enjoyed by us. If you go back to Genesis 1.28, after God creates humanity, he speaks to humanity, he says, have dominion over all of creation. And what God is saying, he's saying, I want you to enjoy everything I've made, I want you to rule over it. This was God's beautiful plan. He created us to worship him, and while we enjoy him and worship him, we enjoy all the created things of the world. Now, if you know your Bible, you know what comes next, Right? Humanity sins, messes everything up. And guys, we, we are living today in the aftermath of what sin has done in our world. And for some of you, like, you don't understand sin, and you, don't, you can't really understand the world, but when you understand what sin has done, that sin brings brokenness. This is why our world is so painful. This is why your life can be so difficult and crushing at times, because sin has distorted and broken God's plan. And the reality of our human experience today is that all of our lives are radically impacted by sin, and sin just permeates our existence. So now we are born as sinners, but we're simultaneously still worshipers. So, Doxa, even though sin is this universal problem with humanity, I want you to know that worship is a universal reality for every single human being. But because of sin in our lives, what we as people do is now we worship create, created things rather than our creator, God. Now, when we use the language of, of worship, I don't want to assume that we all understand what worship means, but here's what worship means. All right, to worship something really just means to, to value or treasure someone or something above everything else. It's really just to give your life, to devote your life to something. The word worship literally means to ascribe Worth to. And so, very practically, if you think about your life right now, all right, whatever or whoever is most important to you, all right, whatever or whoever you build your life on and you give most of your time, your energy, your money, your love, your hopes, your aspirations, your dreams, your fears, whatever that person or thing is, this is in fact what you worship. This is really, in fact, your functional God. Do you see now, like, how all of humanity? worshippers, because every single human being we give our lives to something we build our lives on something but Doxa, this is the question that I want you just to think about today and I think this is the right question for us to think is what is that that we give our life to what is it that we're actually worshiping and here's the big one where is that leading us and while God is the one that we're created to love and to devote ourselves to in this way. What we do as sinners as we continue to worship is that we devote ourselves to other things than God. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that instead of worshiping God, people worship created things. And so instead of God, it's a person that we worship. It's a job that we worship. It's a hobby that we worship. It's our bank account that we worship. It's our appearance, our workout routine, our, our, our just whatever, guys. There's so many things that we can build our lives on and build our lives around that we can worship. And you know, I have, and I have had atheist friends who will say to me, I am not a worshiper. I fundamentally reject that. Do not put that on me. And we can have cordial conversations and just kind of talk with each other. We're we're friends. We love each other. But I'll tell them, like, I know that you don't believe in God, and I know that you don't worship God, but you are still a worshiper. You just worship your own mind. You worship your own intellectual ability to figure things out that are beyond yourself. And so you still are a worshiper. The big thing that we just need to know, guys, is that Christian or not, all people are worshipers. We give our lives to and we build our lives on something so here's what I want you to know regardless of where you're at every single one of us is incredibly spiritual you need to know that about who you are as a human being and all of humanity is constantly in the act of worship we're constantly giving ourselves to people and things and creating just a life that revolves around things other than God. And this is, by definition, idolatry. So idols are are anything more fundamental in our lives than God. Anything more fundamental than God that we, we look to for happiness and for meaning and validation and security and identity, they're just these excessive desires for even good things. Right? The, the, to have an idol in your life, it doesn't have to be this overtly sin thing, but it can be just like a good thing that really just becomes an ultimate thing and gets blown up way out of proportion. It can be material possessions. It can be marriage, a career, achievement, work, a political cause, financial security, and the list goes on. All of these things, they're good in and of themselves, but what ends up happening for so many people is that these created things become... Ultimate things, they become godlike things. And when that happens, what we do is we make for ourselves functional masters, these little false gods, these idols that direct our lives and drive our actions. Doctor, this is idolatry. And this is something that we're, we're all prone to, which leads to just like disastrous consequences in our lives, which is why Paul is warning the, the Corinthians of this and really us today okay? You with me? If you're new, you're like, wow, you just really dove in deep, okay? Like, I, it's not always this intense, but this is the way we do the Bible, right? We just, we just kind of go book by book, chapter by chapter, and this is where we find ourselves, and it's, it's very much a warning of the disastrous nature of idolatry. And so this is a very big topic, something we need to talk about and understand, and here's how we're going to approach understanding this, okay? We're going to look at three things, consider three things. First, we're going to look at the history of idolatry, Second, our experience with idolatry. And then third, the escape from idolatry. So first, the history of idolatry, okay? Look back to verses 1 through 10 and 18 through 22 in your Bible. All right, we see that in this passage, there are really just two histories at play. You have the Israelite history and the Corinthian history. And the reality is, is that these are just two common historical examples of human experience, which is idolatry. But if you look at both histories... Both histories speak about a people who have been delivered by God. The Israelites, they were delivered from Egypt. The Corinthians were delivered from sin and death. Both of these histories speak about people who have been sustained by God. The Israelites by spiritual and physical food and drink, and the Corinthians by spiritual food and drink, which is the Lord's Supper, it's communion. We're going to talk about this and celebrate this in a little bit. But both of these histories also speak about people who, in spite of God's deliverance and sustenance, they were drawn to other gods. They turned their back on God and they turned to these idols. And these passages speak primarily about God's judgment and discipline in the lives of God's people. And I want you to hear this, okay? If you read the Bible, you'll see that throughout the Bible, there's like a a condemnation, a hard line against God idolatry as a whole but the Bible doesn't point fingers to just people outside the church right, this is not what Paul is doing Paul is talking to Christians he's talking to you he's talking to me he's not talking to people outside the church that aren't believing in God and doing anything like that he's saying you Christian you're part of this church this is like a sobering thing for us as Christians because these two idolatries confront individuals who claim to have a belief in one specific thing while they do something contrary and live contrary to that belief. It's the same thing that the world, like skeptics and non-Christians, hate about Christians. It's our hypocrisy. We say one thing and believe one thing and then do another thing. This is exactly what Paul is going to confront us with on these things, with idolatry. And this should be sobering. But if you look at verse 5, It points out that despite God's providence and provision, the Israelites, again, God's people, respond in a way that displeased God. Right? And verses 7 through 10, really just give us examples, several examples of how this played out. Take a look. The first example is in verse 7, with Israel and the golden calf. Paul says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And here, what Paul is doing is he's thinking back to the Old Testament history of Israel. He's thinking back to Exodus chapter 32, verse 6, with a scene of Moses meeting with God up on Mount Sinai, where in the meantime, the Israelites, they're down at the bottom of the mountain, they're kind of camping out, and they're melting all of their gold to make a false idol to worship. And this is to the Israelite people. They so quickly turned their back on God, and they tried to make for themselves a literal idol made of gold that they can conform and make look how they wanted and control and this is a very direct easy picture we see that and we say well yeah clearly that's idolatry they made themselves a, a, a statue and they started worshiping that's weird this is idolatry okay now look at verse 8 the second example we see here is that Israel yoked itself to Baal of Peor all right verse 8 says this we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day And again, Paul is thinking back to Israelites' histories. He's recalling Numbers 25, where the Israelites, they they turned their back on God, and they began to pursue marriage and relationships and sex with other people who were part of this false pagan religion, devout followers. And as they did this, as they entered into these marriages and these relationships, they really started turning their back on God and following these false gods. This is idolatry. And the result of them turning away from God and pursuing other things was that a plague came upon the people and many people died and it was only through repentance and just decisive communal action that it stopped. Now, here's the point. All right, Paul is not just geeking out and nerding out about like history, but what he's saying is this, is that the Corinthian idolatry, much like the Israelite idolatry, will bring about disastrous things in life. Doc's I just need you to know this is not just history this is true in all of our lives and so two things that I, I want to mention the first thing is this is that the reason idolatry is such a big deal is because God hates it look to verses 16 through 22 these verses point to the reality that idolatry is offensive to God and demonic Totally anti God. And because of this, Paul says elsewhere in places like Colossians chapter 3 that the wrath of God is actually coming upon idolatry. And that, so you just, we need to understand, like when we hear about like, the wrath of God and just kind of think about that, there, there isn't like a proper fear of the Lord sometimes that happens among Christians. But I want you to know that there's nothing more disastrous and dangerous than the wrath of an omnipotent, all righteous God. And Paul says the wrath of God is coming. On idolatry now what do we do when we come to the Bible right we always ask questions we talk about this all the time and we ask why so why this is a great question to ask here as we talk about idolatry and the wrath of God but why is the wrath of God coming upon idolatry like what is the big deal take a look at this Exodus chapter 20 it's gonna come up here on the screen this is what God says you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above Or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them to worship or to serve them for I am the Lord your God am a jealous God so the wrath of God comes on the idolater because God is a jealous God verse 22 in first Corinthians 10 points to this as well and, and I need to explain this to you because this is really important right? Because this is why at 27 years old, Oprah Winfrey turned her back on Orthodox Christianity and left God. Because she came across a passage like this and said, God is a jealous God. I don't understand. That doesn't sound like a God that I want to worship. And she turned her back. And many people, when they come to the Bible, they don't understand things like this. And so rather than trying to wrestle with it, they just take it at face value and say, well, I don't like that. And so I'm not going to, we can't do that, Doxa. So let me explain this to you. And And I'll use the words of a A pastor theologian named John Piper but he says it like this there is a righteous and holy jealousy and then there is an unrighteous and weak and insecure jealousy and God's jealousy is not only righteous that is he deserves our deepest and strongest affections and admiration but it is also loving it is a loving jealousy because we were made to find our greatest joy when he is our greatest treasure He is jealous that he be honored by being treasured and he is jealous that we be satisfied by treasuring him so God is a jealous God in a loving way and he is jealous in a righteous way and we just need to understand this because if we find God to be so insignificant or unimportant that we need to put other things in our lives that takes the place of God to satisfy us more than he does then we not only offend him, but we also destroy ourselves. And those two things make God angry because he doesn't want to be offended and dishonored, but he also doesn't want us to destroy ourselves because he loves us, he created us, he's got a plan for our lives. Doxa, idolatry like literally contradicts like both of those things. And so his wrath comes upon the idolater. This is the first reason why idolatry is so disastrous for us as people. Now, the second thing that I mention is this. I want you to understand that idolatry in our lives, at the very least, will impact our joy. At the very least, it will affect our contentment and our experience in life. But, Doxa, hear this. At the very worst, idolatry might not just bring about just like an unfulfilled life that God wants us to have, but it can bring a life eternally separated from God. Because our worship is so messed up that we actually don't really love God. That we love all these other created things over here and we do the religious thing over here and we think we're fooling ourselves when we actually say I love God because we actually love and effectively worship something else. We might love something more than we actually love God. This was the Israelites this is what was happening to them in this history lesson and this is why Paul calls on the Corinthians to stop engaging in idolatry he's really just saying guys you don't understand the possible outcomes of this he's saying you don't understand like that there are spiritual realities that exist in your idolatry that can not only destroy your life today but will destroy your walk and your relationship with God And it can even happen for eternity. Now the reason that Paul starts with this, guys, this history lesson, look back to verses 6 and 11, very specific reason why he starts with this history. What is it? He says in verses 6 and 11 that this history of Israel is really to serve as an example for us. And so what that means is like, we shouldn't just be sitting here hearing and being like, wow, that's interesting. This sounds like a National Geographic thing and that's, that's wonderful. We got some information now. But what Paul is saying is like, no, 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 that history is not for you to be entertained and even just gain some head knowledge. This is to affect your life and cause you to stop because they are an example for you. And so you, as you hear this, you should be thinking, what does this mean for my life? Like, how can I learn from this? And, Doc, said, this is where we're sitting right now, asking that question. And so, the second thing that we're going to look at is our experience with idolatry. And I want you to know, like, here is why the topic of idolatry is so tricky for us. You know, when we hear, like, the word idolatry, to contemporary people, it just kind of, like, conjures up a picture of just primitive people bowing down before statues. You think about that, right? It makes sense. Like, yeah, I'm making gold calf, we'll bow and worship. Oh, idolatry. And we don't see this, that, that most prevalently in Madison, right? People worshiping at statues all around our city. We don't really see that. I mean, we see some interesting things on State Street if you go late at night, but not that, typically. But I want you to know that while Madison doesn't have, like, statues that we see a bunch of people worshiping at, our culture in our city is not fundamentally different than the ancient ones with these statues, If you really want to kind of dig deeper into idolatry, there's a man named Timothy Keller. He wrote a great book called Counterfeit Gods. It's a wonderful read, but I'm going to quote how he puts it. He says it like this, and I quote, Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its own priesthoods, its totems and rituals. Each one its own shrines, whether office towers, spas and gyms, studios or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster. What are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement, but these same things that have assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and in our society? We may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career and ra- are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and more prestige. so this is the truth about idolatry in our lives, in our city, and how we are prone to this, and we just cannot be ignorant of this. This is what Paul is kind of pleading with us. He's saying, "Please do not be so ignorant of this. You need to know that this is true. That idolatry in our lives, in our church, is an ever present dangerous reality. It's destructive. Listen to the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 106, 36. The psalmist says, The people serve their idols. Doc said, that We serve idols all the time, which became a snare to them. Idolatry is a snare and leads people into sin. And I really want you to hear this, because when we understand this, guys, it really changes our outlook on on living for God and understanding our sin. See, idolatry is, is not just another sin that ensnares us, but idolatry is really the underlying root cause of all of our sin. Take a look at Romans chapter one, it's gonna come up here. Paul shows that idolatry is really not just one sin among many, but actually what is fundamentally wrong with the human heart. Look what Paul says, for although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. These are people that are in church and they're saying, I know God. But then they look at their lives and their lives are not glorifying to him at all. They're not thanking him. And then he goes on to say, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And after he says this, he goes on to make a long list of sins that create just misery and destruction in our lives and bring about evil in our world. But they all find their root in the soil of idolatry. To say it another way, idolatry is always the reason we ever do anything wrong. It's the reason. The the theologian and reformer Martin Luther, when he was observing and studying the Ten Commandments, he noticed that the, the first two commandments referred to idolatry, and then the other eight commandments were things like sexual sin and lying and stealing and murdering. And what he concluded, rightly... As he said that if you never broke the first two commandments, you would never break any of the other commandments. That idolatry is really the root of all other sin. And so hear this, guys, we we sin because there's something that we feel that we have to have in order to be happy. Something that's so much more important to us than actually God himself. We think like, man, I just need something more than God, and this is when we get into sin. It's putting something above God. This is idolatry. And so if you're a person who struggles with like addiction to substances or pornography, if you're a person who's like a gossip, or a slanderer, a thief, an abuser, hear this, your real issue is not just with those sins, but the underlying cause is the fact that you are an idolater. We all have this tendency. You know, for example, I want you to consider this. Let's just consider, like, for instance, like the issue of of lying. Here's how Keller puts it. He says, we wouldn't lie unless we had first made something, whether it's human approval, reputation, power over others, financial gain, more important or valuable to our heart than the grace and the favor of God. He says we wouldn't lie. If God was literally on the throne and he was everything to us, there would be no reason to lie. But we lie because we put something above God that we need to meet and protect and fulfill. Idolatry has its root. In all sin because when we understand this it changes everything because let me just let me just sp- speak to you Th- those of you who are Christians and you're like you're trying to live faithfully for God like you understand the gospel you understand what Jesus has done to save your life and you're trying to live in holiness become like Jesus you're trying to Romans eight twenty nine be conformed to the image of Christ and you're fighting sin Let me just tell you guys, the secret to killing sin in our life is not to just focus on that sin and try hard not to do it. But it's to identify and dismantle the idols in our lives that are leading to that sin. Because in some ways, the sin in our life is like fruit hanging off of a bad tree. And many times, Christians and pastors will get up like this and they will come after your sin. And they will be like, stop looking at pornography, stop cheating on your wife, stop getting drunk, stop doing it. And they will just go after the sin and say, you need to get rid of all that bad fruit, all that bad sin, and you need to bear good fruit for the Lord. But here's the issue with that thought the cause of that bad fruit ultimately is a bad root in idolatry. That in fighting sin and living for God, we just can't be fixated on the fruit. But we have to actually do the work and say, where's the root? Because if if we don't get to the root, we're just going to pick off that bad fruit and there's going to be another one that grows because the root is still in idolatry. Does that make sense? Is this making sense to people? Because this is a huge, huge thing. This is what Paul is getting at. He's looking at these crazy, sinful Christians in Corinth and he's saying, guys, your life's a mess. The church is a mess. You're all so sinful. Pay attention. To the idolatry in your life because this is what's causing all of your problems it's bringing about destruction in your life it's bringing about destruction in the church and so let's do this all right when it comes to idolatry doxa, it can just be really tricky to figure out what the idols are in our lives the truth is we all have them we're all sinful people and every one of us at times we allow idols to kind of occupy space in our lives and so if we want to be the men and women that God has created us to be, right? If we want to be who we always say, like we want to exist for the glory of God and the good of Madison, what we actually have to do is do the hard work of Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, search me, O God. Show me any grievous way in me. And I want to do this. I want to help us to kind of search ourselves. i want to ask some questions. and and i recognize guys many christians don't like to do this many christians are really content with you know what i'm going to come to church i'll come to connection group i might even go to intro to doxa or something like that but when i leave here i leave here i'm certainly not going to do the work of saying god shine your flashlight into the deep crevices of my life to show me my sin because that's going to make me feel uncomfortable and i'm going to have to give up that thing because it's not of god That is an idol. The reason we don't want to do that is because we like it. We love it. And so we don't want to say, God, search my heart. But guys, this is who we are as the Doxa family. All right, there's no time to play. We're just going to get to it, and I'm going to ask you some questions that's going to help us to do this. All right, so think about this. And I would encourage you to write these down and talk about them at your connection group this week. But Doxa, what are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? Or maybe ask yourself this, like, what are you most afraid of losing? See, sometimes the idols in our lives are the things that scare us to death, that scare us to think about not having those things or losing these things. Like, what are you scared of? You're like, I mean, are you scared of, like, just being poor? You're like, if I was poor, like, my life would end. You scared of being alone? You afraid that no one will love you? Are you afraid that people are gonna find out that you're really not as great and smart as you, as you think you are and you put yourself out there to be? What are you afraid of? Think about that. Here's another question. Like, so what do you daydream about? Like what occupies your mind? When you have nothing else to think about, like do you daydream about like scenarios of like advancing your career, getting more money, more power? Do you daydream about like just getting more material goods? Do you daydream about just having a relationship? All these things that man, I just dream about all the time. And if I just got it, I'd be okay. You're dreaming about like looking a certain way. That if I just looked a certain way, I'd be happy with myself and people would respect me. Like, what is it that you dream about? And I'm not talking about like one or two, three or four daydreams. I'm talking about like the habitual thing that you think about all the time. You're always thinking about this thing. What is that that you are seeking and constantly thinking about to get comfort in your heart? Guys, this might be a sign that there is an idol there. What about this one? You're not going to want to talk about this at Connection Group, but we need to. Where do you spend your money? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Doc, so your money flows most effortlessly towards the things that you most love. In fact, one of the marks of a potential idol is where you give the most of your money to. You're one of those guys who you just like, you're obsessed with like body image and you're spending hundreds and thousands of dollars every month on the newest supplement and gym memberships and all of this stuff because really the thing that is most important to you is not God, but really your appearance to people and how you present yourself. Where does your money go? I mean, your giving statement, your bank statement is kind of like your autobiography of your heart or your heart's longings. Look at where you spent your money last month. It's a very uncomfortable thing. Did you spend more money on beer than you gave to missions? Did you spend more money on going out to dinner than you did feeding the homeless? Like, these types of questions just kind of tell us where our hearts are at and kind of just diagnostic questions of like, maybe that is actually something that's off in my life. How about this one, guys? Where do you find your comfort? Where do you run to comfort? Where do you find like relief? You had a a hard day, a hard week, where is it that you go to relieve yourself and find comfort? You go to the fridge. You go to the quick trip on the way home to get a 12-pack, or you run into sex for comfort. Are you run into anger or despair? Like, where is it that you find yourself running to to find relief and comfort? Maybe it's a certain person. It's not even a substance. It's a person. That have you heard people say this? Like, they are my rock. what happens if that rock dies Jesus says I'm the rock where do you run for comfort so many questions that we can ask ourselves what drives us to work the way that we do what what are we really living for what can't we live without and the answers to those questions guys they might be good things in and of themselves and that's what makes seeing idols in our lives so difficult because you can look at and be like well that's not sinful that's actually a good thing Like that person, that relationship, that hobby, that rhythm to my life, it's not sinful. And so you say it must be good. But the problem is, is that good thing has turned into an ultimate thing. And it actually is not good anymore. But we need to understand that idolatry is, is not just a failure to obey God, but it's setting our whole heart on something besides God. It's pursuing something that only God can give us. And you know, as I thought about this in my own life, I'm just gonna like just stand up here and just kind of bear it, okay? Because maybe it'll be helpful for somebody. But I thought about like in idolatry, like sometimes like when I'm studying for passages, I get like really excited. I'm like, this is amazing, Jesus, yes. Little kids, lamb, love, grace, all that stuff. Reading this one, it's like I needed a helmet and a cup, okay? It was just like God just like punching me. If you don't know what a cup is, you can talk to your dad when you get home or something like that, okay? But here, this is like the thing. I, I was thinking about this and it really just kind of highlighted in my head, of the times in my life that I actually am idolatrous. And I thought back. I'll share three with you. Right when I became a Christian, there was a, a, a teammate of mine named Andy. He shared the gospel with me a couple hundred times. Plane rides, the games, bus rides, hotel rooms. He, he led me to the Lord. I love Andy. Thank God for Andy. And I remember after I became a Christian, I went to Andy for everything. I literally, if there was anything in my life, I went to Andy for help all the time, like speed dial. And I remember I was filling out a job application to go on staff with a church, and it asked me like a question like, why do you love God? Why do you want to work for a church? And I was like, oh my gosh, Andy, I got to call Andy. <laughs> and I call Andy, I'm like, why do I love God? Why am I going to work for a church? And he just interrupted me, standing at a coffee shop named Grounds for Thought with the records right in front of me that they have sold, and he said, Rob, I am not your God, and he hung up the phone. but he's right, but I elevated him to that. And that wasn't a bad thing, relationships are great, we're the family of God, but when you take that relationship and it becomes he's your helper, not the Holy Spirit, that is bad, it's idolatry. Shortly after that, I've never really kind of been like obsessed with working out or anything, I was an athlete so I had to work out, that was like my job all the way through college. But I remember when I got done playing football, like for some reason something clicked over in my head. And I was like, I have to look a certain way. And I got obsessed. I'm weighing chicken, I'm weighing potatoes, I'm like going to the gym for hours, multiple times a day. I found myself like skipping church, skipping connection groups, stopping hanging out with people because nothing could take the place of my gym routine. I had to go. And God, being so gracious, he gave me a job in the middle of the Rocky Mountains one summer. I was out there all summer. I was an hour and 15 minutes from the nearest gym. And I freaked out. The first two weeks, three weeks, month that I was there, it was like the worst month of my life because my idol had died. And I was sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't go on living. Like this is the worst. I couldn't focus. And I actually took people's cars and drove an hour and a half, two and a half hours round trip uh, like for like a week and a half to go to this gym and then finally they were like bro you're using all of our gas like where are you going I was like don't worry about it don't, don't it was an idol in my life it was the ultimate thing a good thing like taking care of my body it's the temple right but it became this thing that I was obsessed about more important than God and I wish I could stop there and say, you know what? It ended when I was not a baby Christian anymore. I hate that baby Christian, but you get it, right? But guys, even as a pastor, there is a thread of idolatry in all of our lives. And I will say to you, as a, as your pastor, I know this is true of me. A couple years ago, before we started Doxa Church, I remember coming here, and for the longest time, guys, I was so insecure in in, in like literally finding my identity, in my worth, in my validation, in how successful I was. And how pathetic is that, that a man has to find his validation and his success in ministry? And I would sit there and I would think, man, there's not many people here today. I'm not good enough. And I had the thought, if I don't have a huge church, I'm a huge failure. It's idolatry. I found out that I'm actually caring more about my success than I am my faithfulness with God. That I was looking for my identity, not from the words of the Father, but from the works of my hands. It's idols. Idols are things that we look to for the things that only God can give. So here's the question. About out of time. I am out of time, but I'm going to keep going. Is there hope? Doc says, there's hope? With Jesus, there's always hope. And the answer is an emphatic yes, if. If we begin to realize that idols cannot be simply removed, but they have to be replaced. I believe it was the theologian John Calvin that said the heart is an idol factory we are so permeated with sin that we're constantly going to be creating idols and going after idols and not going after God and so we can't just remove them but we have to replace them look back to verse 12 therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed unless he fall. so Paul is saying Hey, this is a big deal. Pay attention to this. If you think idols are just like about statues and worshiping, like you're wrong. This has something to do with yourself. And if you don't come to realize this, there's gonna be a disastrous outcome in your life. And then verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Underline that. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. I want you to circle that in your Bible that that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful, and despite our idolatry and sin, out of his great love, he helps us and he gives us a way out. And Paul is saying, and he's saying to you, and I'm saying to you alongside God, of no matter how idolatrous you think you are, no matter how sinful you see your life right now, guys, there is an escape, there's a way out, and no Christian is ever stuck in a temptation that's too strong because there's always victory in Jesus. Amen. This is who he is. And so he says in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. And here's the escape, Doxa. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is, not a, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Here it is, Doxa. There's a way of escape from idolatry, and Paul explains it through talking about communion. And he says communion is really ultimately about participation in Christ, meaning that when we take communion, we're aligning ourselves with the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the power of Jesus. And as Paul talks about the act of communion, he's saying that as Christians do this, we do this as we look to Jesus to be our everything, to help us, to fulfill us, to empower us, to lead us. And as we take communion... We look to the one who's not just the creator of life, but the sustainer of life, the fullness of life, the giver of life. And as we take the bread and the juice, we're reminded of the gospel that not only saves us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, but really just gives us the power that we need in the everyday stuff of life to navigate and faithfully walk with Jesus for his glory and the good of our city. And maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking like, guys, this is like elementary. This is like very Sunday schoolish. You're telling me, wait, you're just saying, it's Jesus? Like, I need to come to Jesus. Doc says, is that what I'm saying? Absolutely, yes. It's Jesus. It always is Jesus. It's actually coming to him. It's not just coming here and raising your hand and talking about him. It's giving your life and asking him to become your greatest treasure. Have you done that? Have you actually asked God to help him be your all-consuming desire? This is a prayer that God would love to answer. It's always about Jesus. Look back to verse four. Paul gives us this beautiful picture of Jesus saying that he is the rock of our assurance and help that just as Jesus was with the Israelites, providing for them, sustaining them, helping them, meeting their needs, he's with us today. You just need to know this, Doxa. He's not a far off God existing in heaven or a temple somewhere. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. The Spirit of God dwells in you upon faith. He's there. The question is, is, will we come to him? And I'll close with this. One of my favorite authors and theologians, Ada Bd he says it great. He says, the best way to keep the enemy and idolatry out of our lives is to keep Christ in. Doctor, Our struggles with idols and all-consuming desires You just need to know that they arise chiefly because we have kept Christ outside the door of our lives. We sing to him, we listen to his words, but rarely do we come to him as our helper and our king, our lover, and ask him to just become our all-consuming desire. See, the best way to escape idolatry is not merely to keep idolatry out, but it's to keep Christ in. And when he becomes our all-consuming desire, idols, idols, their temptations will fade. So for the sake of our souls, we need to come to Jesus. And no matter how long you heard the words, follow me, there's always more. There's more beauty to be seen. There's more wisdom to be admired. There's more power to be experienced. There's more friendship to be enjoyed. There's more grace to be reminded of. There's more. There's more. And when Christ is in, and we're adoring him and truly worshiping him. Idols cannot compete with this. So let's go to Jesus now as a church family. I'm going to give you just a minute just to go before. And maybe asking yourself those questions, you're like, man, I got some work to do. There's something in my life. Guys, bring it to Jesus. Know that he's faithful and just to forgive and ask him for help. And replace that and say, Jesus, come in as my all consuming desire. Just go before him, he's your helper. Ask the Holy Spirit to show up, and he'll meet you there.